Father, thank you that when we go to you expectantly, uh, you do show up. You do answer the humble heart that says, Lord, I want to hear from you today. So we're grateful for that. And um, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let me, um, let me ask you a question uh, to start off here. Have you ever felt defeated? Have you ever had a period in your life where you felt inadequate? You don't have to raise your hand, but a time when you felt discouraged, kind of down and out. Have you ever had that, that feeling that, you know what, you felt like, I just, I don't feel like I measure up. Maybe you would say you're, you're continually, you seek to do the right thing, and you even put a lot of effort into that. You authentically want to please God with your life. You're sincere about that. You want to honor Him. You really do. But oftentimes, you would say, in that journey, you feel defeated in your efforts, whether it's in the context of maybe things at work or school or in a relationship, you've maybe found yourself hoping for more, a little discontent, discouraged. You might um, feel like from time to time what it looks like when you see like a hamster in the cage with the wheel, you know what I'm talking about? And the hamster gets on the wheel and just goes and goes and goes and goes. There's lots of motion, but there's not really much progress. You ever felt that way? Like you're, you're moving, but maybe you're not really confident that where you're moving is actually what God's best is for you. You know that you're moving, you know there's a lot of traction, there's a lot of, there's a lot of energy being put out, a lot of effort, but you're not really content with, with where you're at. You may have found, like I find in those situations, sometimes it's helpful for me when someone just comes alongside me and they speak truth into my life. When they say things to me that are true that help me reshape my perspective, that they, they help me look at life in a, a different way. My situation doesn't necessarily change, but the way I approach it with the truth changes my perspective. It changes how I walk into the situations. In our 11 verses today, the Apostle Paul is going to come alongside us, and he's going to bring to life a, a truth about us because of a truth about Jesus Christ that will seriously cause us to rethink really who we are and, on the other hand, right along with that, how we live. Now remember this, the, the Apostle Paul, remember the context in which he's writing. He's writing to this church in Rome, so he's writing this letter, the book of Romans, to the church in Rome out of his love for them, out of his care for them. And what Paul wants more than anything for this church, for his readers to, to hear, is he wants them to have God's absolute best for their life. He doesn't want them just to settle for average. He wants them to experience God's very best. And so kind of like a life coach, Paul's going to come alongside us this morning, and he's going to paint a picture of the future for us. He's going to give us a, a grand vision, a compelling vision that can be true for every single person in this room. It's been said that if the, if the Bible was like a ring, like a, a physical, tangible ring like this, that God gives to his people who he loves, and that ring was composed of different diamonds and, and rubies and all sorts of precious stones. It's been said that the book of Romans would probably be the, the top gem. And then even further, that chapter 8 would be the, the highest peak. It would be the, the top, the, the, the most excellent gleam coming off of that ring. It's that good, Romans chapter 8. The news that we get in this is incredible. No matter where you're at this morning, no matter maybe what you bring into here and whatever you're facing, Romans chapter 8 has a message for you that you can stand on. You might feel like things are a bit shaky for you right now. Romans chapter 8 is a truth that you can stand on and be confident on. This is our main point for this morning. We'll, we'll unpack this uh, as we go. My, my prayer is that you'll walk away and this statement will be embedded in your mind from Scripture. Here it is. Main point. Here it is. The Spirit of God is living in me. The Spirit of God is living in me. That's what our text is about. Now, if you're if you've been in church for a while, you might hear that and you might go, agree. Uh, I got that. I, 
Remember that? That's, you're right. That's a reality that I've, I've learned. But I think it's often true for a lot of us that some of the, the, even some of the basic truths of Scripture can kind of lose their weightiness after a while. Sometimes when we're walking with Christ, we can kind of get stuck in like first gear, you know, we can get stuck in second gear, and we can even maybe get used to that, even kind of adapt to it. But I think God would say to us this morning, I've got something more for you. I think God would say to us this morning, if this truth really impacts your life, you'll experience third, fourth, fifth gear. God would say, I've got a bigger vision for you when you think about what it means that the Spirit of God is alive in you. Literally, here's what it means. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is living inside of you if you're in Christ. Now, if you're here this morning and you're brand new, you're maybe seeking out spiritual truth, first, thank you for being here. Um, but let's just acknowledge this. Right now, you're probably thinking, wow, it sounds a little bit out there. <laughs> sounds a little bit, you know, kind of in left field a, a, a little bit. I want to encourage you this morning. Would you just hear God's word? Uh, would you hear it? Would you consider it? Be- before you put it in the crazy category, would you just, would you hear it? Would you receive God's word? Give it a chance. To set this up this morning, um, to look at Romans chapter 8, it's first important that we just take one step backwards and we look again briefly at Romans chapter 7 to understand where Paul has been and why he's going to write what he does now in Romans chapter 8. We saw this in, in, in Romans chapter 7. We saw that Paul's life wasn't perfect, and, and that was probably comforting to you. It was comforting to me to, to read through Romans chapter 7 and some of the things that Paul said. We saw that he was very authentic. He, he described this personal wrestling that he does within his own soul when he desires to do what is right, but oftentimes he doesn't do what is right. He talked about how he's going along in life, walking with the Lord, and then he hits some bumps along the way from time to time. He struggles. There are times when he feels, he feels defeated. Paul put it like this in Romans chapter 7, verse 18. He says, I know that nothing good lives in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Do you see his struggle? He, he's saying that I don't have the resolve. He's saying I, I don't have it within my own strength, within, within myself, to do the good I know I should do on a consistent basis. Have you ever felt that way? Never felt just frustrated? I got in an argument with Christina yesterday, and I just thought, that's such a dumb topic that we're arguing about. I just thought, how frustrating. You ever had that feeling? I'm the only one. Okay, all right. <laughs> I guess I'll go to counseling alone. All right. But do you ever have this happen to you? You come to a point in your life, and you just feel a little bit on kind of like maybe you're even trapped. You feel like, wow, I, I don't know which way to go. I, I'm not sure what I should do. Paul, what he's doing in this passage is this. He's giving us a picture of himself, and he's living in his own strength. He's living apart from the strength of Jesus Christ. Drop down with me to Romans chapter 7. Look what he writes in verse 25. He cries out to God. He says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, he says, through Jesus Christ our Lord. In chapter 7, Paul is making it crystal clear that left to ourselves, we fall miserably short. Left to himself, Paul is saying, I don't measure up to the standard of God. I can't do it. And so we leave chapter 7 knowing this. There is a huge need for all of mankind to seek the grace of God. It puts us in a good place. 
If you've ever found yourself on that path where you desire to do what is right, but along the way you hit the bumps in the road, you mess up, you say things that you shouldn't say, you wish you could hit the rewind button in different situations, in that state, in that emotion, in that, in that particular picture of kind of being bummed out about the struggles of life, Paul, what he does now is he's going to take us in chapter 8 to what is the resolution to this conflict that wages within me. And let me just say this. Don't miss this. What we see in chapter 7, that wrestling, that's not a bad thing. And the smartest thing that we can do in those situations when we kind of go, oh, I wish this wasn't a struggle. I'm hitting some bumps in the road. The smartest thing that we can do is have a conversation with our Heavenly Father and say, I messed up. I'm wrong. I'm, I'm stuck. Spiritually, I'm kind of stuck in a low gear. I, I, I could be in a higher gear, but, but I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm stuck. I'm stuck. I want to embrace what it means to live full throttle for God, but I'm having a hard time. The smartest thing we can do is just admit that. In chapter 8, verse 1, Paul answers this dilemma, this inner struggle. Here he goes. Chapter 8, verse 1, Paul writes crucial words. He says, therefore, in light of all that I've said about this struggle, this, this, this sin that I rage war against, he said, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let that sink in for a minute. This verse is one that you, you would want to memorize. Therefore, it says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That means there's no guilt. That means there's no shame. There's no penalty. There's no reminder that constantly pops up of all the wrong that you've done in your past. You don't wear that on yourself. There is absolutely no condemnation, none for those who are in Christ Jesus. I mean, get this. In, in light of the, the reality of our inability to toe the line, to, to meet you know, the letter of the law, what does Jesus do? He steps in for us. He steps in. And as a result, Paul makes this huge declaration. It's life-changing. He says, I want you to have this mindset. There's no condemnation. Absolutely none for those who are in Christ. Now remember the backdrop. Remember where we've been in Romans. When we got to Romans chapter 3, we saw that all people have sinned. Every one of us. I think if I, we took a poll in here today, no one would say, you know what, I am the exception, right? Romans chapter 6 then, we saw this. Okay, the wages of our sin, what do they do? The penalty? It's death. It's separation from a holy and awesome loving God. To be condemned, it means that we are eternally separated from God. In our city, and if there's a home that is run down and it's been abandoned and the city will eventually come in and they will mark that home might even put something right on the front door it'll say condemned it's meaning this that house the door is shut on that house for good paul says to us in christ there is no possible way to be condemned no possible way it's not an option in christ you don't appear run down in christ you don't appear guilty in christ you don't appear full of shame there will never be a label of condemnation on the front door of your life that says condemned. There will never be that label on you. You can have absolute security in Christ. Regardless of how you feel, that's the truth. In Christ, there's no condemnation, none whatsoever. And as a result of this reality of no condemnation in Christ, Paul's going to go on and he's going to talk to us about since there is no condemnation now, he's going to talk to us, there's this transformation that takes place in us. 
He talked about it in another, another place. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he said this, therefore, another big statement. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, two key words there, if anyone is in Christ, they're a follower of Christ, he, she is a new creation. The old, it's gone. And the new has come. This isn't like if you like, you know, join a club and you, you pay the membership dues and all of that. This isn't like a club where if you don't pay, you lose your membership card. If your behavior is so bad, you don't abide by the rules, you lose your membership. It's not like that. Paul is saying to us, in Christ, you become someone completely new. The old is gone. It's gone. The new has come. You can have absolute security, apart from your feelings, that you are new in Christ. You are a new person. The old person is gone. The old person that stood condemned, the old person that said, you know what, I'm weighed down by shame. I'm weighed down by guilt. I did this, I did that. I'm struggling with this. I'm still struggling with that. It's gone in Christ. You don't hold on to that. And the great news about all of this is this. The reality is it doesn't, it doesn't come from you. It, it doesn't come from me. It's not dependent on me. That's good. It's not dependent on my effort. It's dependent on his grace that he poured out on us. William Barclay put it like this, talking about the gospel. He said, it is a lovely story because the first thing that Jesus does for every one of us is to say this, child, God is not angry with you. Some of you need to hear that. Child, God is not angry with you. Come home and don't be afraid. Now you might be here and you might hear this whole idea of the spirit of God living in me. You might hear this idea of, okay, I'm a, I'm a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And you might feel, though, like not so much newness is going on inside of you. You might feel like, okay, this new creation, I don't, I don't really, I don't feel like I'm a new creation. You know, the smell of a new car, it's kind of, it's kind of worn off, maybe you would say. Paul now explains in the rest of this text, he's going to talk about this this battle that wages between our flesh when we're living in our own strength, and then what it means when we're living in the, in the Spirit of God. What, when, what does it mean when we lean into that newness of who we are in Christ? What does it mean when we embrace that reality that the Spirit of God is alive in us? What does it mean when we take on that identity? And Paul's going to toggle back and forth between these two words, the word flesh and then he's going to talk about the word spirit. When Paul refers to the word flesh, what he's meaning is this. He's meaning that this is, he's talking about the, the power that is exerted when you and I try to do it on our own. The power that is exerted when you and I are really saying, I'm relying on myself. And then the other side, he's going to say this word spirit over and over. And he's referring to the fact that if you're a Christian, if you've begun a relationship with Christ, he's saying that the spirit of God is alive in you. He's alive and well. You see a glimpse of this clear back in the Old Testament. Ezekiel chapter 36. Let me show us these verses to you. This is a promise that God's people got in the Old Testament. He says, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from, your, I will remove from you your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my my laws. Again, the Spirit of God, what is it? Clear back, we see that then. The Spirit of God is alive in me. Jesus put it like this when we get to the New Testament. He gave a promise to us. John 14, he said, if you love me, you will obey what I command. In verse 16, he said, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor, 
to be with you forever, not just for a short period of time, to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and he will be, here it is, in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So we see in the Old Testament, okay, this promise. I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to give you a new spirit. Jesus shows up on the scene. What does he say? Same thing. And it's not going to leave you. There's going to be, if, you, if you're a Christian, there's a spirit of God is alive in you. And now we get to the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, and he's going to explain it even further. Let's keep going. Look with me at verse 2, chapter 8 in Romans. This is why there's no condemnation for you and I. Verse 2. Because through Jesus Christ, it says, the law of the spirit of life sets me free, sets me free from the law of sin and death. This is, this is the gospel in a nutshell. Now, you might be sitting here today and you hear those words, it sets me free from the law of sin and death. And you're thinking to yourself, yeah, but Jeff, you don't really know me. Jeff, you don't understand my sin. Jeff, you have no, you have no idea, Pastor Boy. You have no idea about me, Right? But think about this. This is, this is the truth of Scripture. No matter how great your sin seems to you, focus on, remember the greatness of the sacrifice for your sin. I mean, think about this. The creator of the entire universe came in the form of a man, was nailed to a cross. He was crucified for you and I. I mean, that covers your sin. Verse 3, Paul keeps going. For what the law, he's referring to the Old Testament law, what the, for what the the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by the sinful nature. He's saying that the law showed us our sin, but the, the law had no power to really help us overcome it. What the law was powerless to do, it says God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met. Here it is, really important words, in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Notice in verse 3, it says, what the law was powerless to do, God did. Not you, not me. Paul goes on to write in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he says, God made him who had no sin, he said, sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He's saying, Jesus Christ becomes the sacrifice for your sin. He accomplishes what you could not accomplish. Just a side note, this whole thing is a dividing line between Christianity and most other world religions, Buddhism, Islam, Hinduism. In each of those, it's up to you. In each of those, at the end of the day, you perform, and at the end of the day, you hope, you, you put your hope in yourself that you will be seen favorably at the end of the day for all of eternity. That's your, that's your hope. Christianity says this right from the start. It says, the best I've got is not good enough. The best I've got, my best performance, my best day as a dad, as a husband, as a father, my best day is not good enough. So what do I do? I cling to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And in that, and we, I think we can just go, with relief, smile to our face. In that state, in Christ, when we cling to his righteousness, Romans 8, 1, there's no condemnation. Absolutely no condemnation. Verse 5, he keeps going. More explanation of this whole idea. It says, those who live according to the sinful nature... 
They have their minds set, those are key words, they have their minds set on what, the na- on, on what that nature desires. But those who live according to the Spirit, they have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. In essence, it's saying that when the Spirit of God is alive in us, we begin to desire the things that God desires. We begin to think on those things. We set our minds on those things. A scholar, F.F. Bruce, he put it like this. He summed it up well. He said, Christian holiness is not a matter of painstaking conformity. Have you ever felt that way? Maybe, that, maybe you were even raised like that. Christian holiness is not a matter of painstaking conformity to, a, to the uh, specific precepts of an eternal law code. It is rather a question of the Holy Spirit's producing His fruit in one's life, reproducing those graces which were seen in the perfection in the life of Jesus, in the life of Christ. Meaning this, that when the Spirit of God lives in you, people will see Jesus in your life. When the Spirit of God, when He's alive in you, uh, people will see that. People will take notice of that. It it marks us. It, it, It transforms the things we say, the things that we do. We still mess up, but there's a general orientation where our minds are thinking on God, and it it changes us. People might have said to you, when you came to know Christ, they might have said to you, there's something different about you. There's something, something's changed. I remember going home uh, for a winter break in college, and, and our family was having a gathering, and my cousin, who is a Christ follower, she um, had gone to high school, the same high school I had gone to a few years. Uh, she's a little younger than I. And I remember coming home, and, and she said to me, we got to talking, and she said, I heard you changed. She was a little skeptical, right? But she, she had heard, okay, the, 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 something, something's happened. And what had happened was the Spirit of God had met Christ. The Spirit of God had come alive. I'm not much of a singer. Actually, I'm not a singer at all, um, really. But I remember when I first met Christ, I remember in Ames, Iowa, I would drive sometimes out into the country. I had this certain place that I loved to go to. And I remember, I don't, don't, I'm not a big singer, I remember parking the car, I walked underneath this bridge, and I remember just crying out to God, singing these lyrics that were about this God, my God who had saved me, who had rescued me. And I remember just the tears coming down my face. Now, why would, why would that happen all of a sudden to me? It's because the Spirit of God had come into my life. I was new. It was, it was changing me. There was a large group of people here at the building yesterday. They were preparing. They were doing a, a day of training for a week-long camp that they'll do uh, for, foster, for kids in the foster care system. And I was thinking about this whole group of people, blessed, awesome people. Uh, there was a day when I was thinking this group of people probably wouldn't have looked forward to, have giving, to giving up a day uh, to come and get trained to go to this camp. And there was surely a day when they would have thought, a week's vacation to do that? No, no way. But when the Spirit of God, when the Spirit of God lives in you, it it changes you. It changes your wants. It changes your orientation. One pastor said it like this. He said, I feel strongly that there is nothing I have to do for God to love me. Just as strong, though, I want to do everything for him. Paul put it like this in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 16. And he was describing what does it mean when that Spirit of God lives in us? He said, but, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, he says, the, the veil is taken away, meaning that when you come to know Christ, you, you see differently. 
It says, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Paul will see it. He'll say it's, it's life, it's peace. Verse 18, and we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory. Here it is. We are being transformed into, the like, into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Again, it doesn't come from you and I. It comes from the Lord when we set our minds on him. That's the key to being transformed. It's, it's not our effort. It's not get back on the hamster wheel. No, it's when we look to Christ, when we set our minds joyfully on Christ. We don't accomplish it on our, on our own. If you gave me a basketball and you said, uh, Jeff, by the end of this year, you need to be able to take LeBron James to school. You, you need to be able, Jeff, just to dunk over him, make him look silly on the court. Now, it wouldn't matter, would it? It wouldn't matter what you gave me for training. It wouldn't matter what kind of steroids I took, uh, protein shakes. or I mean, it wouldn't, you stretch me. It wouldn't, it wouldn't matter, would it? I mean, it would be, and it would also be this, it would be incredibly frustrating for me. No matter how hard I would try, no matter how, it would be, I, would, I could be exhausted just trying. Okay, I, I could get better. I, I can't dribble as well. It would be exhausting. It would, just impossible. Know this, this transformation that occurs inside of us, it's as the Spirit of God lives in us. Here it is, it's God. It is God working in us. It's his power, right? It's, it's his strength. It's him doing a transformation. And, and I'll be honest, that should be a relief to us. We don't have to go, okay, I'll just keep going. I'll muster it up. I'll be more disciplined. We can just go, okay, it's the Spirit of God who's living in me that transforms me. And so what do I do? What's my part in this? It's to set my mind on him. It's to set my heart on him. It's to pursue him. But who does the transforming? It's, it's God. I've been reading uh, in a small group the story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, this uh, incredible book. Uh, it's only about three and a half inches thick, so if you want a quick read, this would be a great one for your afternoon. Just kidding. Um, but this guy, he was a theologian, he was a martyr, he was a pastor, he's a man who's closely um, tied to the conspiracy against Adolf Hitler. This guy, you would say, undoubtedly was a guy that lived with great courage. I want to read this quote to you, though, from this, from this book. This is what it means. This is an example of what it means to live with the Spirit of God in us. Here it is. The author writes, again and again in various accounts, people write about how strong Bonhoeffer was during the air raids, during the war, how he was a comfort and a bulwark to those around him when everyone believed death was at hand. But his strength, here's the key, but his strength was borrowed from God and lent to other, others. The Spirit of God, what is it? it? When the Spirit of God was alive in Dietrich Bonhoeffer, what was it? It's that that came out of him. It wasn't his own producing. It says he, he borrowed it from God. Let's keep going. Look with me at verse 6. It says that the mind of the sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. You might say, well, why, why is it life and peace? I mean, think about this. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You don't have to weigh, you carry those burdens. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. When God is calling the shots, you have life and peace. When God is your leader, when, when you're seeking to please not man, when your aim is not to, to please someone, but it's to please the God of the universe, 
you will walk with a different kind of outlook. This is the truth that's grabbed my heart the most this week. Verse 7, he goes on. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's laws, nor can it do so. Verse 8, but uh, those controlled by the sinful nature, they cannot please God. Meaning this, they're in a place where they're either running away from God and they can't please Him because of that, or they're running to God. And they're running to God in their own self-effort, in their own strength, and they're saying, okay, God, I hope that you're pleased. God, I, I hope that I'm earning a good standing before you. Both don't work. Either one. Verse 9. Paul speaks now directly to the follower of Christ. Powerful words. He says, you, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Verse 10. But if, but if Christ is in you, your body is dead uh, because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. Again, that's Christ's righteousness on you, not your own. Verse 11, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives, here it is, in you. I mean, this is good news on the eternal front. And the, the, the things, the events, the, what it's talking about, there's so much packed in those two verses. Those things will happen on the eternal front. But it's also saying this, right here, right now, right in the situation that you're facing, right in the inadequacy that you feel, right in the job, right in the spouse, whatever it is, whatever situation you're facing, right here, right now, it's saying that the Spirit of God is in you. That same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you. I want to close with just um, two thoughts. The first one is this. You know, you might be here this morning and you're a, um, you would say you're a follower of Jesus Christ, but you have a tendency to beat yourself up. You have a tendency to see the, the cup is half empty when it pertains to your own life. You tend to see how short you fall often, and discouragement oftentimes rules the day for you. And you might understand these verses in your mind. You understand, okay, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And if I'm in Christ, then the Spirit of God is living in me. You understand at your, in your mind what that means. But I just want to encourage you this morning. Let it grab your heart. Look back at verse 1. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When you seek to please God, don't look at yourself in the mirror. Instead, look to God. Look to him, and what will happen? It will bring life and peace. And you'll also notice this, that when you live in that life and peace, and when the Spirit of God lives in you, you'll get out of first gear spiritually. You'll get out of second gear where you're kind of stuck. But if you keep trying to do it in your own strength, and in your own effort, you will become even more exhausted and even more frustrated with yourself. When you realize that you can't be the parent, when you realize you can't be the grandparent that you want to be, when you realize, you know what, I, fa I fall short as a friend sometimes. When you realize I can't be the spouse that I want to, do what the Apostle Paul did in chapter 7. He acknowledged it. He said, okay, I can't be. But then he did this at the very end, verses 24 and 25. He said, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then we get to chapter 8, and he says, okay, now here's the big declaration. He says, there's no condemnation for you. 
regardless of how you feel, the truth is, there's no condemnation for you. Absolutely none. Let your heart be gripped by that. You are not alone. The Spirit of God is alive in you. I want to give you just an assignment this week, if you'd be willing. Here it is. Very, it's pretty easy. Just grab a note card at home or a piece of paper or something small. And I just want you to jot down Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Write that down. I want you to look at it all week. And then right underneath that, write this sentence. The Spirit of God is alive in me. Let that, let that penetrate your reality. And then I just want to say lastly, if you're here this morning and you would say this, you would say, you know what? I, I'm not in relationship with Christ. Uh, I am not in the category of no condemnation. I just want you to hear this morning that when you approach Jesus Christ and you say, by faith, I believe that Jesus did what he said he did. I believe that what we celebrated on Easter was, I believe that is true, and I believe that when Christ did that, when he accomplished that, what he did was he paid for my sin. And I just want to encourage you this morning, when you put your faith in Christ, you can have the sign on your life that says, no condemnation, absolutely none. And that shame that you bring in here this morning, it's gone. You don't need to carry it anymore. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's amazing news. That's the news that we just go, awesome. That's a great day. Let's do this. Let's pray for ourselves. Maybe you're a follower of Christ. Or let's pray. Maybe you're in a situation where you'd say, I want to pursue that life of, of no condemnation. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. And um, Lord, we just want to ask that uh, you would take this text and you would do a great work in us. Lord, would you remind us this week, if we're followers of Christ, that there is no condemnation for those who are in you. God, I pray that that, that truth would penetrate us. And then, Lord, if there are any here, we know there are, and you would say of yourself, you're here this morning, and you would say, I'm not a follower of Christ. I would just encourage you. Would you cry out to God in this moment, and would you say, you know what? I believe the truth, and I believe the truth that if I'm in Christ, there is no condemnation for me. My sin is totally forgiven. And know that you can embrace God. You can say a simple prayer to him. Just say, I put my faith in you. And he rejoices in you. And he speaks directly to you. Your heavenly father who loves you speaks to you and says, you, my friend, there is no condemnation <clears throat> for you. There is no condemnation in Christ. Lord, we love you. We celebrate. We worship you now in that reality. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.